Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. We hope that our series through the book of James has been helpful and practical for your walk with Christ. Today, we come to chapter 4, where we will be talking about conflict, a matter of passions. We encourage you to open up your Bibles to the book of James and follow along with Pastor Roy. Well, if you open your Bibles to James chapter 4, we're continuing on our series, The Matters of Real Christianity. Today we're talking about conflict, a matter of passions. While you're turning there, you know, the book of James is intensely practical and deeply convicting. And so I trust that as we look at this, that each of us will look at our own lives, Uh, even though he's writing to a community of believers, uh, we're all part of that, that uh, make up this community of believers. So beginning in chapter 4, verse 1, James asks the question, a couple questions, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And really this is a continuation. Um, it just all flows together because in chapter 2, as we talked about faith and works, um, if we have genuine faith, we will have work, we will have labor in the body of Christ. Uh, our tongue, uh, if we have true religion, our tongue, our words will be the right kind of words. And then he talks about wisdom, the, the true wisdom that comes from above. If we have that true wisdom, We're going to learn how to not only use our tongue and our body, we're going to know how to interact with one another within the body of Christ. But yet, even though he shared all of that, now he comes to this section where he says, well, what causes these fights and quarrels among you? And so let me just ask with another question. I think what James is asking is, why can't we just get along? Why is it that people in the church fight and quarrel And they don't get along. Abraham Lincoln was walking with his two boys one day who were fighting and arguing. And somebody hollered out to uh, Mr. Lincoln. They said, what's wrong with the boys? And Mr. Lincoln replied immediately. He said, the same thing that's wrong with the whole world. I have three walnuts and each of the boys wants two. And that's exactly what was happening in this community of believers. People wanting more wanting things that they didn't have. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 1, in verse 10, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind 
and thought. He goes on to say that some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. So I asked the question, why couldn't the Corinthian believers get along? The reason they couldn't get along is because they began to raise up certain personalities and one wanted to follow this personality and another one wanted to follow this personality and somebody else wanted to follow that one. And in reality, what we sang about this morning, the heart of worship, it's all about God. He's the personality that we should all be following and magnifying and honoring in our lives. And if we do that, we're going to get along. But yet in Philippians, another church in Philippi, two ladies couldn't get along in the church. He says, I plead with Euodia and Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. My question, why couldn't these two ladies in the church get along? Well, let's look at the cause of personal conflict. Cause of interpersonal conflict. It is our passions, our desires, the battle within us. Now, I know I, I read the notes of John MacArthur, and he said this does not refer to the internal passions that we have, that he's talking about internal passions within the, the body of Christ. But I think it does have an impact with our internal passions because our internal passions impact how we interact in a community. Um, and the word used here is actually used in the New Testament and is only used of physical pleasure. It is sensual pleasure, delight, enjoyment. This term is used five times and every time it's used it denotes negative pleasure or gratification related to carnal desires. Here in Galatians 5.17, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so you do not do what you want. We have this internal struggle within us with our passions and we bring those internal struggles into a community of believers and guess what? If I'm having struggles internally, you're having struggles internally, there will be conflict, potential conflict. Um, in Luke 8, 14, he says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. What happens when we have these desires is we have a desire for personal pleasure. And that desire for personal pleasure overrides the desire of the community or the desire of what God wants. And there's a spirit of discontentment, a spirit of unfulfillment that happens in our lives. And whenever you have a spirit of unfulfillment, you're going to have a spirit of discontentment. And that can happen in a community of believers as well, the desire. Let me look at some of the uh, philosophers. Lucian writes, all the evils which come upon man... Revolutions and wars, stratagems, slaughters spring from desire. All these things have as their fountainhead the desire for more. Let's look at Plato. The sole cause of wars and revolutions and battles is nothing other than the body and its desires. Interesting, isn't it? Cicero, it is insatiable desires which overturn not only individual men, individual men but whose families 
and which even bring down the state. From desires spring hatred, schisms, discord, seditions, and wars. Desire is at the root of all the evils which ruin life and which divide men. I find that interesting, the desire that comes. And William Barclay, a theologian, the ultimate choice in life lies between pleasing oneself and pleasing God. And a world in which men's first aim is to please themselves is a world which is a battleground of savagery and division. And it's interesting that James finishes chapter 3. If we go back to chapter 3 for a moment, he talks about in verse 18 being a peacemaker. Because there is that internal struggle and desires that we have, we need to learn to be a peacemaker who is so in peace to raise a harvest of righteousness. And when we allow the peace of God to rule in our lives, we can please the Lord in the community. And that's what God is looking for with all of us. 2 Timothy 3.2, he says, People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I ask the question, why does a two-year-old throw a temper tantrum? They throw a temper tantrum because they can't get their way. We can call them hissy fits, emotional outbursts, but why do they do that? They want to have their way. They want the blue sippy cup instead of the red sippy cup, right? And you have that battle within. Does the color really matter? Not really. Except if they are demanding that you give them that color and they're going to throw a temper tantrum if they don't get it, then you need to teach them to respect you and say, no, you need to ask, and the answer may be no. Uh, because it's that desire for pleasure, and it even starts in a very young age. The sad part is when you see a 50-year-old throw a temper tantrum. <laughs> That's when it really gets, gets bad. Uh, but that can happen with defiance and stubbornness. Um, you can even see little kids stiffen their body and begin to hyperventilate, you know, <laughs> they don't get their way. Uh, they can do that. Um, Solomon tried every pleasure under the sun, wine, women, and song. He wanted to try it all, and he said it's all vanity, it's all empty, it's all worthless, apart from a relationship with God. He goes on to say, in verse 2, you want something, but you don't get it. There's where frustration in life comes in. Have you ever seen people, they want something so bad, and they don't get it, and they become frustrated, they become angry? And that's not good in a community when you have something like that. They set their heart on something that God does not desire for them. And that brings in that unfulfillment, which results in discontentment. You cannot gain the happiness you seek by attempting to fulfill your worldly passions. Some people are so bent on pleasure pursuing the American dream. They want the luxurious automobile. They want the beautiful house. They want uh, expensive clothes. They want to hold a significant position. They want an exorbitant salary. 
They want to dine in fancy restaurants and rub shoulders with people in higher tax brackets. If that is the desire, that could cause a lot of conflict within a body of believers. He says you do not get what you want because you're pursuing something God does not want for you. The focus is on the temporary rather than the eternal. And then he goes on to say you quarrel and fight. What does he mean by this? He means there's conflict, there's battle within the body of Christ. And that should not be. You engage in serious and protracted conflict in a serious series of attacks. There's hostility and antagonism that takes place. There's an open clash between two opposing groups. It should not be power plays within the body of Christ. James is saying you need to get along. There needs to be a spirit of peace, a spirit of unity. Control your tongue. Control your body to honor the Lord. Let's consider some instructions that are very, very practical. Number one, drop a matter before it turns into an argument. It's interesting how a a, a conversation will escalate into an argument because you have these two people with these two opposing views and they want to press their way. They want to press their view. In Proverbs 17, 14, it says, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. Drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Very practical, wise wisdom. So drop a matter before it turns into an argument. If you see you have an opposing view, you don't have to necessarily give it at that time. The person may not be ready to receive it. Secondly, defer from jumping into a conversation. Some people are not involved in the conversation, but they bring themselves into the conversation and they want to give their viewpoint. Um, and we don't necessarily need to do that. In Proverbs twenty-six seventeen, it says, Like one who seizes a dog by the ears is a passerby who meddles in a quarrel, not his own. <laughs> don't get involved in the quarrel. Um, if it's not a part of your conversation. Thirdly, do not engage in wars over words. It's not worth it. In 2 Timothy 2.14, keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words. It is of no value and only ruins those who listen. You know, it's interesting. I was looking at a statistic. Do you know how much money we spent for World War I? Over $330 billion were spent over World War I. Millions of lives taken. Millions of lives missing. um, Over war. Conflict. And how much has the name of Christ been denigrated and ruined because of people in the body of Christ fighting and quarreling? And we should be able to get along. He goes on to say, disarm foolish controversies by exercising patience in a discussion. Proverbs 15, 18. Proverbs has so much practical advice. A hot-tempered man stirs up dissension, but a patient man calms a quarrel. Some people throw gas on the fire, you know. 
by opening their mouth, they just kind of throw gas on the fire rather than putting water on the fire and letting it die down. Uh, how important that is, and we can be a part of putting water on the fire. He goes on and he talks about a collapse of faith. Notice he says at the end of verse 2, you kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Asking God in faith, there's a collapse of faith when we go forward and we make decisions and we don't ask the Lord for wisdom and guidance. There's a collapse of faith that takes place. James is saying, don't let that happen. That's why you don't get what you want. You're wanting to consume it on your own passions. Remember the story of the prodigal son. He wanted his father's inheritance, right? He took his inheritance and he went out and it, it, the Bible says he spent it on riotous living. Notice what it says here in verse 3. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Why? That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And that's exactly what the prodigal son did. He spent what he got on his pleasures. And the interesting thing about that story is he was interested in his father's inheritance. He was not interested in a relationship with his father. And I wonder sometimes if we're the same way. We're interested in what the Father can give me, but we're not interested in the relationship with the Father. God, give me, give me, give me, give me. <laughs> and as long as you give me what I want, you can be my Father. But you're more interested in the gift than the giver of the gifts in the Father's inheritance rather than the Father's relationship and how we need the Father's relationship in our lives. The collapse of faith then leads to a corruption of God's people. A corruption of God's people. Notice what he says in verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That is strong language. Why does he call them adulterous people? Well, if we go back into the Old Testament, whenever God used the term adultery, and he was talking about spiritual adultery, he was talking about the unfaithfulness of his people who forsook him and began to seek after idols, idolatry. In Isaiah 57.3, it says this, But you come here, you sons of sorceress, you offspring of adulterers and prostitutes. That is strong language. In Hosea 3.1, the Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. He goes on to say in Jeremiah 5.7, because he uses this term over and over, Why should I forgive you, you your children have forsaken me and sworn by gods that are not gods. I supplied all their needs, yet they committed adultery and thronged to the houses of prostitutes. In Hosea 4.12, of my people, they consult a wooden idol and are answered by a stick of wood. A spirit of prostitution leads them away. They are unfaithful to their God. And interestingly enough, physical adultery in the Old Testament resulted in death. And so does spiritual adultery. 
When we are unfaithful to God, it kills our faith. It kills our spirit. And so he uses this strong language, you adulterous people, the Jews would have understood that, of being unfaithful to God, seeking an idol, seeking some kind of personal pleasure or physical pleasure over pleasing God. Spiritual adultery is a form, listen, spiritual adultery is a form of apostasy. Apostasy is abandonment of one's faith or belief in God. Denial of faith by those who once held or professed it. When you abandon the faith that you have in God, that's apostasy, and that is a result of spiritual adultery. And that's why he strongly says, you adulterous people. He wants us to be faithful to him. He goes on to say, that we are choosing to be a friend of the world. This means friendship with the world means you have a friendship, you have an affection, you have a love for the things of the world. Is it wrong to have nice things? No, not at all. But here's what he's really saying. He says you are embracing the values, beliefs, and morals of the world. And you're bringing that into the church. And that's why you have conflict, because you are embracing the values, beliefs, and morals of the world. And those values, beliefs, and morals are in rebellion to God's values, morals, and beliefs. One commentator said, an impure person is an enemy of God's purity. Think about that. An impure person is an enemy of God's purity. An unholy person is an enemy of God's holiness. A deceptive, lying person is an enemy of God's truthfulness. A covetous, hoarding person is an enemy of God's heart that gives sacrificially. A worldly-minded person is an enemy of God's will for man. We could go on and on. And that's why... Matthew writes, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. First John says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And then he goes on, and I'm going to jump down to verse 6. But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When we think about how are we going to get rid of these fighting, quarreling, conflict in the church, it'll be by the grace of God flowing in my heart and the grace of God flowing in your heart. And for that to happen, we have to humble ourselves. And so here's what we do. We come to God with a humble heart. And when we do that, I think these four things will be true. Number one, we will have the mind of Christ. He says in Romans 13, 14, Rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. 
He said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what did he have? He had a humble mind because he had the mind of a servant. He was willing to serve. And what do we do in the body of Christ? We serve one another. We have to have the mind of Christ, and that is coming to God with a humble heart. Having the mind of Christ. Setting our affection on things above and not on things on the earth where we are so driven and passionate to get this and get that that it divides us. Secondly, walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Probably many of us have things that we've had to wait for in our lives. I remember when I really desired to be a senior pastor. Some of you have heard that story. And I was heartbroken when I did not get the position in Virginia. Absolutely heartbroken, devastated, shattered. But you know what? It wasn't God's plan. It wasn't God's timing. He wanted you to put up with me. See, <laughs> he said, you know, it's like the guy that wanted to, to, to preach and sing. And he said, he said, he, he looked, God looked over to his son, Jesus, and he said, son, you let him preach and sing and I'll send him a crowd that don't know the difference. <laughs> no, you know the difference. I'm not saying you don't know the difference. But walking in the spirit means that sometimes I will not get what I want when I want it. And that's not a bad thing because you do that for children and they're spoiled you ever see a spoiled child? They're not fun to be around. And God doesn't want us to be spoiled. He wants us to walk in the Spirit. Thirdly, pursue righteousness. Righteousness. He says in 2 Timothy 2, 22, Flee the evil desires of youth, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. <laughs> are there things in my heart that are not pure? From time to time there are, and I have to ask God to cleanse them. If I'm going to pursue righteousness, I've got to stay away from those things. How will a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed to the word of God. Meditating on the Word of God, humbly coming to the Word of God and saying, allowing the Word of God to correct my thinking, to change my attitude, to change my heart, pursuing righteousness is vital. So if we have the mind of Christ, if we walk in the Spirit, if we pursue righteousness, we are not going to have the conflict in the body of Christ. We're going to have harmony. We're going to have peace. And then the last one is to rely on God's grace. Notice he says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If we come to him with a humble heart and say, God, I know I'm not everything I should be. I'm not everything I need to be, but God, I'm asking you to help me, to change me. Titus 2, 11 and 12, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. 
If we do those four things, we will have the harmony. We will have the peace. We will sow and reap a harvest of righteousness. Having the mind of Christ, walking in the Spirit, pursuing righteousness and relying on God's grace. We need that whether we're dealing with our children, whether we're working in a marriage relationship, or whether we're working with brother to brother or sister to brother or whatever the case might be, we need the grace of God. We need the mind of Christ. We need to pursue righteousness and we need to walk in step with the Spirit of God. Let's stand for a word of prayer. ask you to bow your heads and um, I want you to reflect on the message. Conflict, a matter of passions. Why can't we just get along? Maybe you have some struggles in some relationships, whether it's in your family, in the church, uh, whatever the case might be. But real Christianity will allow the Spirit of God to bring our passions under control and the grace of God and allow us to control our tongues and our bodies. How are you doing with that? Are you walking in step with the Spirit of God? To do that you have to have the Spirit of God in you and you have to be willing to allow Him to control you it's so easy to look at what somebody else has and want what they have and pursue that at all costs when God wants us to pursue Him. Are we looking to please God or please ourselves? When I come into a worship service, am I looking to please myself? How did this minister to me? <laughs> or am I saying, God, are you glorified through this? Even though I may not particularly like that or it's not my preference, God, are you being glorified through this music? Are you being glorified through your word? Are you being glorified through this fellowship? That should be the ultimate we should seek to do in everything. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. When people come into Bethesda Church, they should have, have a sense of the peace of God ruling in our hearts. And we are walking in step with the Lord. If you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you have internal conflict and maybe you have caved in to the desires of the flesh. The only way you can overcome that is to crucify the desires of the flesh and you do that by submitting to the Spirit of God. Put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature. And we do that through the Spirit of God, asking God to perform spiritual surgery on me. God seeking His forgiveness and His righteousness. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sin, that we could be forgiven. It's not through baptism or church attendance or turning over a new leaf. 
It's receiving the Spirit of God in my life, saying, God, I want you to be on the throne of my life, to rule my life, so that I can, if I'm a dad, I can lead my family well. Uh, if I'm a, a person in the church, that I can be a, a great church member, or if I'm a leader in the church, that I can be the leader that you want me to be. So I'm not seeking my own agenda, I'm seeking God's agenda. That's what we want. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. And if you have questions about your own personal spiritual life, we'll be here. Please talk to me afterwards. We'll be glad to pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.